Welcome everyone to another episode of uh, Fresh Pulp Magazine's Dark Matters podcast. Um, this is I am Jay Austin Yoshino. I am the editor of Fresh Pulp Magazine. This is my illustrious co-host Marguerite Hill. She is the uh, executive director and co-founder of Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative. They are a co-sponsor of this podcast. They do some absolutely wonderful uh, anti-racism competency training. Um, we have an event coming up in October that I'm really excited about. Really excited to up my up my skills to go to the next level of anti-racism competency. Uh, welcome and thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to nerd out with you. You know, we have so much to talk about this week um, with regards to foundation. And I'm and I'm, I think I'm going to get in the habit of talking about what we're going to talk about at the top of the hour, so that people are can just like, you know, some people want to navigate ahead or whatever if they want. I want. I also want to remind everybody, especially if you're watching live, please like and subscribe and share, um, because we're trying to monetize and we need those ducats to support all of this. Please go interact with Muslim Arc's social media. They've got great. Um, they've got donation buttons on their website. Please donate if you can. Find out how you can get involved. It's a wonderful organization. And also, please check out. Fresh Pulp Magazine's tip button. We also have a wish list available on the front page of our website. So if you want to buy us a book or drop some ducats in the penny bucket, I'd be really happy. So what are we going to talk about this week? So we're going to talk about foundation, obviously, which, you know, those people just doubled down on the tropes. Um, we're going to talk about also, we're going to talk about, um, we, we have a, a science roundup, which is going to be, Annelids and nematodes being unearthed from 30,000 years ago. Um, and we're going to talk about, um, first we're going to start with, we're, 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 we're going to introduce a little bit of nerding out. And one of the things I want to, I want to start with, I'm gonna, it's not really a rant per se, but I want to tell people why we don't review or we don't talk about superhero movies and we don't talk about um, um, anime because we, we both love anime. Um, superhero movies, I feel like they just, they're really overdone. Right. There's only so much you can go with that. And if you also recognize the sort of origin of of superhero stories, I mean, except for Batman, Batman was a detective comic. But Captain America was, I mean, basically, we said propaganda. He was a propaganda comic, right, during World War Two. Right. Um, and there's some really racist, like, you know, it's just some really racist cartoons from back in that day. But that's not the main reason. It's just that it's just a mill now. It's just being overdone every, you know. Like, what is there to talk about, honestly? Um, but you can't keep up, right? I'm so, trying. I just... um, and it just gets boring. Like, man, did you see when Batman took out his Batarang and he, like, Batarang those two? It's like, you, anyway. So what we're going to talk about right now is why we don't talk about, why, why we don't discuss anime. Because I'm a big anime freak. I'm a big manga freak. Like, I have a big collection going back to the 40s. Like, I have some of the original Blackjack comics and, and some of the other stuff. Um, and I love like Blackjack. I love Spriggan. Um, I loved Katsuhiro Tomo. I loved you know um, Akira. I went to go see Akira. I snuck away from school, went downtown to the Biograph Theater to watch Akira in the theater with like my friend Bruno. It's crazy. It was crazy. Um, we we both skipped wrestling practice and ended up having to do like had having to run like four miles. Um, it was worth. But it. the reason, but it was totally totally worth it because it's informed everything I know about an anime. So one of the things I want to say about about it is that honestly the the quality of the stories has diminished dramatically over the past forty years. I mean, um, 
and we're gonna we're gonna get Marguerite here to talk about. I, you know what? I'm just gonna just Marguerite tell us. Marguerite blew my mind with some Robotech lore a few months ago, and like my whole reality has been rocked since then. Tell us about tell us about Robotech. Tell us about the origins because I know you're a Robotech nerd. I mean, well, one, I mean, just I, I love anime. Manga is a little bit later coming. Like I said, like with my whole kind of family history, like getting access to comics was very difficult. And, you know, I mean, for many years, it was like getting manga in the 80s or 90s. That was like really unlike, you know, like very unlikely unless you were going to Japantown. So in my early 20s, like that was like we, um, San Jose had a small Japantown. Um, Sometimes we could get, um, um, you know, like, like video, like we'd get the VHSs of of shows that were playing in Japan. And so that's like, that's like that whole scene there. So sort of like the bootleg things that haven't been released in the US. But um, growing up, I mean, there's, it's, it's really surprising. I mean, when we think about how much anime um, was playing in our childhood, and even like that um, behind the scenes that Japanese animators were illustrating some of our favorite childhood comics. Um, and so when I was when I was young, I loved Captain Harlock. I used to watch that and oh, I used to be like Captain Harlock and Queen of a yes. Thousand Years. I was like yep. so amazing. Those um, just the animation was like just really the drawings, the style, the character designs were so beautiful. And um, at the time, I used to have a little TV, so my family was always really into gadgets. And I would have a little TV, and I would sneak out of class, and I'd go into the bathroom and watch Captain Harlock. <laughs> I nice. was like, I was always nice. getting in trouble, story. always doing stuff. Um, amazing, um, just yeah, just really beautiful. And um, one day when I was, um, I'm like, I think I was probably in fourth grade. I came home and and um, there is a series that was playing and it really stressed me out. Like they were just were constantly running from these aliens and um, the stakes were pretty high. And this was like the first time I've ever seen characters like major characters, charismatic players die. And um, and then I just but the female characters were really interesting. One, I was kind of annoyed with Min May. I'm not going to lie. But Lisa everybody, Hayes, everybody, yeah. right? <laughs> Those songs are awful. Um, and um, but what I really loved was um, well, one it was like Claudia Grant was like actually my first like the a character yes. who I saw was black on um, who um, who was in a relationship with Roy Foker, who is the top ace pilot. And um, so seeing a black woman in her natural, that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, but also there, there was Miria, Milia or Miria, because um, Milia is the Japanese, um, right. like the original version in, in Macross. So um, yeah, and Miria, who was a warrior and I just loved it. Like her battle armor was amazing. She could kick butt and um, you know, just kind of like the story and actually like the hope that she brought um, was uh, that was actually tied into her her story arc of going just from like pure warrior to like falling in love, you know, like which was like, yep. okay, yeah, set a girl up from, you know, enemies to lovers tropes. Right. So. Right. Um, 
you know, it's just like, it just had like a lot of powerful female characters that, um, that I really looked up to. So I could actually see myself in this story. This was like the first time I saw myself in an animation in a very powerful way. And I just fell in love with that story. I used to like take, I, the next year that it came, it played again or the next season, I recorded all of those episodes. I would rewatch it. And for many years it disappeared um, until around 98, it actually started playing on PBS again. And oh, I, wow. um, yeah. And like in 90, yeah, like 99 um, at that time, it was like the time of GeoCity. So I had actually one of the top uh, Macross and Robotech websites. So nice. like, if anybody wants to know, like, I mean, if I get up, like when I get into something, I'm into so like, so, so my sci-fi and anime is not very broad. Like I know you have like this, such a broad collection of things, but I hyper-focus on a few things. So next week I'll, I'll bring you my, my model of a VF-17. Um, Uh-oh. Oh, the other thing that was super exciting. So, so I mean, yeah, there is the military propaganda, right, of, of Robotech and Macross. Um, but, um, and what really got to me was that my mother, she worked for the defense industry. And so she had to have, you know, she had to actually clearance, like you couldn't go into the cleaning room. So she developed, she made parts for, um, for um, the fighters that like for the, um, and we lived near the Air Force Base, Moffett Field. And so every year we'd go and see the air shows. So we'd see the military might and I mean, air shows are pretty spectacular because you just get to see like all the formations and everything. And so, you know, that the airplanes that um, that they were modeled after the via um, the variable fighters were actually modeled mm -hmm. after, you know, the fighter jets that looked a lot like, you know, the ones that my mom worked on. <laughs> I want to know. But one of the things I want to know, because you told me this one fact that like I it took me like a whole day dude like i would i i was like i was like no that's that can't be right that can't be right that can't be right tell me what was that do you remember what i'm talking about yeah so so the original so macross well robotech um is was um bought like harmony gold had bought um some series from bandai and given like the the number of episodes um, that a season in the U.S. has, like they had to combine three independent series. So the first one was um, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, and the other one was um, was it Southern like Cross. Southern Cross, and then the third one, which I used to love. Invid Invasion. Yeah, the Invid Invasion. So that one. Um, so these were. What well, was Invid Invasion Sentinels? Because I know that they chopped. Yeah, Sentinels. They even yeah. Chopped, they, yeah. Yeah, the central. Yeah, I mean, they they tried to they they brought in some some things. So they they connected these three series that were completely unrelated to weave together a, a story about um about like culture and hope and and things. And so it's a great like, story though. Yeah, protoculture. And so with protoculture and the original Macross is really just culture. It's like the the original origins of of humans and you know, like humanoid. I mean, everybody like was human because they were like these kind of like first like the masters that were there. But um, in um, 
like Southern Cross, which was like a totally different story, totally different characters, but they made them like, oh, this is the next generation. So it just, I mean, it worked well. Like, I mean, I loved it. You know, you had this idea of like, um, of um, Rick Hunter coming back, you know, in this season three. But I mean, it was really like, you know, they were just kind of on, you know, trying to. And also Lance, Lance was a better singer. Lance was a better singer, performer, <laughs> and a better person, a better person than um, Lin Min May. Yeah. But also, Min-Min. you know, what, the thing I loved about Lance too is is like because he, he, they never discuss his sexuality, but he's he's re- like he's a so Lance the Lance character in Invasion Invasion is a guy who he's a spy, but he 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 cross dresses as a as a woman singer, mm-hmm. right? And and they. It's kind of hard to explain, but that's how you that's how you make a cartoon about a guy who is possibly trans. Like if you're going to make a yeah. cartoon about that, that's how you do it. Because I, my mind really when I first saw it, I was like, wait, what? Like he's like one of the best fighters in the whole group. <laughs> right. Like how you know, how is it really like helped me dismantle a lot of my ideas about masculinity and femininity, but also about, you know, transvesticism and ultimately about about being trans you know, in general. Um, even mm-hmm. though they don't delve that deep into it, that's why again representation matters. I'm sorry I had to take that little thing because I Lance is one of my I, I, I love Rook, but Lance is like Lance was the know, be- like Lance was the best, and even like Lance's love interest when you think about the alien that like was kind of, was Butch, you know, like I was just like you mm-hmm. know I could dig it, you know, and so Cyclone um, in the '80s, you know, yeah, like in in the '80s, I do think. You know, some some ways, like you know, this kind of culture wars and paranoia is so weird to me because I'm like, we grew up with like, I mean, Culture Club, Boy George, like, I mean, so many of the the acts and things. I mean, even like when they did hip hop, you see what they were wearing? They were wearing like yep. bondage gear and breakdancing. <laughs> yes. and, you know, yeah. I, now you know, I so wanna, the wanna... idea of masculinity, because like I grew up as a B girl. I mean, I was really really young. When I was doing it, but my brother used to bring the um, albums from New York. So when we would go visit our family in Trenton, New Jersey, he'd bring back albums. But even like those leather jet, like I mean, there was a lot of leather in there. So right. Um. So that look in the Jerry curl, which also yep. has a certain kind of thing. So glow. So I. So it was like you know African bimbada, like the the gear that they used to wear was, you know. Brothers were in fishnet breakdancing, right. you know, like, and nobody yep. was like questioning um, Shabadoo's sexuality or that he wasn't a man. Like, they weren't like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, like, because he who was, was the other one too. That um, it was one of the groups that was produced by Prince, um, where the the main character looked. Everybody was like, she looked, you know, thought that it was like a woman, and everyone was like, oh my god, she's so hot. And they found it was a dude. I mean, and he was, and he, I forget, they, there was a skit, like Charlie Murphy did a skit about that. I mean, he did, he did a bit and it was like, the dude wasn't out there pretending to be a woman. He was just being himself. You know what I mean? It was crazy. Yeah, I, if, was I, just, if I remember the name of the band, I'm going to, I'm going to say it. Let's bring back Guy Liner. I'm all for it. Oh yeah. I, I can't pull that off, but yes. So like, Okay, so now I want to, what I want to talk about is, and, and I, I want to mention, I want to give a couple of, of, of honorable mentions in terms of cartoons of that age, because one of the things I discovered recently, too, that really blew my mind was, was the cartoons were just, they weren't just propaganda, they were advertisements for toys. I didn't know that until, like, this year, that they made 
the cartoon, they made the toy first, and then they made the cartoon. So they, but they didn't release the toy until the cartoon had established itself to be popular. And so that's what it was. It was this, and which is, I'm not going to lie, as genius, right? But the toys today stink. The toys and the cartoons today are terrible. So honorable mention goes to Thunder the Barbarian. They need to remake that that series because that is one of the darkest, most dystopian, like post-apocalyptic shows. Like that show used to scare the crap out of me when I was a kid. Um. Anyway, so I want to talk. So I want to talk. Pretty dark. I mean, like that was the thing. I mean. Like the, because even like Robotech was pretty dark. There was always like, I mean, basically it was like the world is destroyed. There's like maybe like the hundred, you know, like who, you know, how many people lived on SDF one? Like that was like all of humanity, right? right? And so, um, so you just like watched like just even just to to show like I remember there's this one scene where they had the one of the final battles and it was like the, it was like a UN as fate, like a UN soldier was like trying to shield a child and they just blew them up. And I was like, <laughs> that's not funny, but it's just like, it's, it's so, I know you're talking about, you know, that like, scene that got you right. And it was like, and I was just like, Oh my gosh. And the idea was like, so in the eighties, so this is the thing about um, millennial, like maybe millennials, I don't think they really got it, but like in the eighties, we, we were on some Nostradamus stuff. We thought the world was going to end in 1999. Like that was a legit, that was also due to the fact that like we lived through the cold war and the persistent yeah. threat of nuclear annihilation. I mean, they had shows about that, you know, Testament with um, Jane Alexander and like the day after tomorrow, like these movies all, I was like, I just lived in terror of the Russians yeah. like my whole life, and, which is totally bizarre. Huh? Yeah, no, I mean, I did. T- I mean, I was like, I was really afraid. And did you do the drills, the like drop and cover? Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I was like, drills. I would watch the movies and I was like, I feel like the drill's kind of useless, right? Like I, I got <laughs> sent out of class, right? Because I like, because, because I was like, so I'm, I was like, so I raised my hand and I was like, teacher, like that movie is showing everything being blown away and disintegrated, right? And you're telling us that when during a, 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 a nuclear attack alert, we have to get under our desk. And, I, and she was like, well, it could. And I was like, no, it couldn't anything, right? We're all going to die. <laughs> And she was like, she was like, John, please leave the, you know, you're now going to the principal's office anyway. But the interesting no. thing too, is that like, I was so afraid of this other, like totally abstract existential threat that I was like, I, I didn't understand that the real threats were around me. Right. I would, you know, you know, over policing and that sort of thing. Like those were the real threats like to, you know, I mean, the police in America killed far more people in the eighties and the Russians ever did. Right. So any case, one of the reasons why we don't, why I don't, you know, really review or talk about um, anime is because there are so, first of all, when I was younger, I thought we were being inundated by series. Now we're really being inundated and we are getting really what amounts to a lot of junk. People love Naruto. I don't like Naruto. People love Inuyasha. I don't like Inuyasha. People love um, uh, Sword Art Online. Don't like it. And part of it is because we talked about this, like that series 1899 and that series The Dark in on, on Netflix. It's the same story, just with a different setting. And yeah. that's what 
that's what anime has become to me. It's become the same story. The person's a teenager, or they're like a young adult, or there's some, which is also bizarre. This this super this hyper fascination that people have with with using children's labor and youth to save the world. It's bizarre, right? Um, and it also comes from kind of a a Lolita kind of place too. You know, like it's okay yeah. because they're all young. You know, um, and the stories and the the, the the dialogue are really puerile, you know, like there was a, a, a movie that I loved called um, blood, the last vampire. It's a great movie. It's only about 55 minutes long. And yeah. it's about a vampire. Who's a schoolgirl. They made that into a series and the series is terrible. Right. It, did the same thing with, it was, yeah, it was very, I was low, like, you know, <laughs> so I feel like the stories are really puerile and very juvenile and they're very poorly written. But the thing is, is that the Japanese recognize that they have a market in Americans because we are not discriminating consumer consumers like at all. Yeah. We, what we want is we want the style. We want to see the anime style and then we, we turn it on and then we're just, we're fascinated by it. I saw somebody the other day crap on Akira online. Yeah. And I was like, dude, you have no excuse. That's that's to this day. That movie remains one of the best animated animations movies ever. To this day, I, I there's very little that com- that compares to it. Um, what's the what's that one with uh, um, Ghost in the Shell one and two beautiful movies, right? Yeah, Katsuhiro Otomo knows what he's doing. Just, yeah, but the I mean, re- but the the live action, nope, sorry. Yeah, I mean, there's just something that's a little bit lost with some of the the um, CGI. Like, I just sometimes feel like it's just not used to its. Like it's too much, or just something just kind of is lost in that. Um, but also, why we make a masterpiece? Why? Why? Yeah, that's true. The, to me, the masterpiece yeah. is you have a team of of, of in betweeners and artists who come together and collaboratively make an, a masterpiece. And mm-hmm. from a film perspective, for for Ghost in the Shell, they couldn't even get the script right, right? Let alone the actual art. So mm-hmm. I was like, no. I, I, hate I, I didn't even bother. Yeah, I didn't even bother watching it, even though I love Ghost in the Shell. I mean, a lot of people are it. watching Attack on Titan, which is pretty heavy. Like but I, I, I'm really struggling with the like just unlikable characters, like especially like the main character. And you're like, I hate you. There's no purpose. There's like, where's their growth? They're just sort of. So that's that's my issue is like where they don't have a story arc. Um, it's just like the same thing yes. and just at the thought, like they just kind of go through things and you're just watching it just because. Um, and so, yeah, like classic anime, like where you do see changes in the characters, like that's something where they learn something, they grow or they step into themselves, um, which is why, like, I mean, and it's like, I mean, I loved Macross because it did have that, like, like you know, the, the, the features of Macross, which a lot of people don't know because the the legal disagreements or the legal clashes between Harmony Gold and Bandai. And so they finally solved it. So now we're getting all those series in the United States where you could see the um, sequels of Macross. Not to say that all of them are great. I mean, we just kind of go through the motions in some of them. Um, (laughs) You knew I was going to say something. (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah, you know, it's like, okay. Because, you know, like the features, I mean, it's just sort of like a, now, when you watch Macross and Macross Frontier, it's like watching, you know, J-pop 
you know, and somehow like these, you know, like they're battling with some alien force and then these, you know, girl pop band, they come in and they're right. just like, you know, and you're just like, okay. And there's a love triangle just somewhere yes. in there. So those yes. are the features. And they, that's the and original enemies, stars, to, enemies to lovers. Triangle, and then, the, you know, yeah. robots that transform into other things. So. <laughs> Which that's the cool part. And I, I want to yeah. say too, before we move on to the science, the science roundup, I wanted to say that Japan is having a labor problem with their animators. Okay, they they do not get paid very well, and it is affecting the market. However, I will say that most of these series came out before. Well, I won't say before it became an issue. Before the animators and stuff decided that it was an issue, right? So they've been turning out what I consider to be pulp for almost twenty years. Um, mm -hmm. And and I think I do think that there's a hole in the market. I do want to mention that Japan has laws against union, unionizing, and it's one of the mm. reasons why the, the animators haven't unionized. But there's some talk about it now. We'll keep you abreast. Um, I did want to say, I did want to talk about. If you have anything else to say about anime, because I'd like, I, I just wanted to say that we don't review. If we come across something that looks good, we will certainly talk about it and we will certainly review it. Because there have been a couple that were like a couple of small time gems, like Blame. Blame was awesome, right? <sighs> but like, it, it, they didn't have another one. So, God, yeah. the Godzilla, the Godzilla anime was beautiful, but it was a terrible story. So, <laughs> um, so we we are not against reviewing them, but we're just revenge. I'm I'm I am against reviewing all of this sort of mashy pulp stuff that keeps coming out. So, um, having said that, I want to move on quickly to our science roundup stories. Um, which is uh, several years ago, they discovered um, thirty thousand or twenty thousand year old annelids in the the Russian permafrost. More recently, about a week ago, they discovered like twenty one thousand or forty one thousand year old nematodes in the Russian permafrost. Quickly, the difference between apparently I looked this up between nematodes and annelids is that annelids are segmented and nematodes aren't, but they're both the type of worm. So um, I think same family, different genus. That yeah. weirds me out. It, it, that weirds me out because apparently through a process of what they call cryptobiosis, they can survive extreme conditions, which is not uncommon. I mean, there are other organ organisms. I want to hear what you have to say about it, Marguerite. Oh man, global warming. Um, one, I mean, we're just, I mean, one of the scariest movies was The Thing, right? You know, so they got that yes. from the, but I'm just like, what, like, what, what is being unearthed, right? Like, that is being unearthed from back then as our ice caps melt, that we will be devastated by, because, like, once it crosses over, so I am very much concerned by different pathogens that the animals like were able Interesting. to do. Interesting. So it's like global warming. I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, I mean, if we thought COVID was bad, right. You know, or even just like how, like our food That's systems, but also what it may be unearthed with this, like, we don't know what we're, what we're doing. Right. And, and it's so rapid. So, um, you know, my concern is like, you know, like that. Um, I mean, when you're going to see species change, like, so there's going to be like massive, massive die offs. And all of this is human cause. 
um, not just like the regular kind of like ice age or like the kind of flow, ebb and flow of time, which has actually affected history. Like if you do like kind of long durée things of history, you can actually see the influence of the ice age on like like human history, like who where humans could live, what crops were able to grow, like where people were starving. So I do think it's like this unearthing of things in these ice caps, like where they were just long buried for 20,000 years. Are we even ready for that? And we probably would deserve as a human species, like our collective fate, like the, the impact that we've had on, on um, the earth, we, we probably deserve the fate that we get, like uh, the hardships. Yeah. I want to, that's, I, I didn't think of it that way about the, the fact that yes, we were probably unearthing pathogens. Uh, someone did say that once, once the Russian permafrost is completely thawed, um, climate change will be irreversible. Hmm. Um, because they have this layer underneath the permafrost of carbon that will just, of like methane producing carbon that will just, yeah. will just be over this, you know, this hump. But, and I think about like these, you know, like I was thinking about, oh, gross, hematodes and annelids, like that's gross. And yeah, what if one of them gets in your body? I mean, I think I always think of that term, you know, I can't, I can't help it. The body horror but, you, the but you just point out like the real, real horror, which is this potential for other pathogens. Like for example, the Lone Star Tick, right? The Lone Star Tick in Texas, which if it bites you, makes you allergic to protein, to meat, and I think possibly even tofu. So, and that is actually, it used to be confined primarily to southern Texas, but now they're saying they've found them as far north as Virginia. So, so yes, that science, the science of that is real and, and horrific. Yeah. So, you know, but we... I mean, this is why why it's important to have the kind of science fiction to really understand what is possible to take that theory and to, yes. to have those kind of warnings so that, I mean, well, one of the things that, that is really interesting about the human mind, like, and how we learn is that we don't, everything that we learn has to be scaffolded on something else. So without science fiction, right, it's actually a lot more difficult for people to conceptualize what is happening but when we have those reference points in classic literature so you know we think about the classics right you know and and the kind of horror like the way that theoreticians may talk about frankenstein or, you know like it's just like right those are they talk about shakespeare there's like certain um psychological concepts psychological thought phenomenon you know like from like that we talk about from greek plays that's how it's going to be for us. Like, so the science fiction that we're writing right now will be the scaffolding for other people to make sense of their world and the social, like the social structures. I agree with that. And I, I think also, because we're at a point now where, where we're, we're almost at a point now where we're the kind of, kind of science fiction that's intended to house a warning. We're almost past that point. Now we need to start looking at science fiction. that's going to be like, okay, so you screwed this up. Here's what you do next, right? <laughs> Which is mm -hmm. what we're looking for. We're looking for both, honestly. Is I want yeah. to see science fiction where people plausibly interact with their environment, their technology, their planet. Um, I'm okay with a little bit of ethnographies of, 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 other, of other alien species. Um, I think at the very least, because we talked about aliens last week, two weeks ago, I think at the very least, if you have some kind of anthropological you know, science fiction, 
it will tell a visiting alien species that we were at least thinking about being thoughtful, right? That our first impulse wasn't going to be to pull out a gun and start shooting. So um, anyway, um, so yeah, so that's a great point about now I'm really terrified. I'm going to lose sleep. Oh, no, no, not just from the worms, which I have a thing about worms. and But so, yes, I, I do think that one, it's that we can. I'm sure there's somebody from the CDC that is on that, you know, those labs um, really collecting those pathogens and trying to identify them and coming up with some, uh, um, you know, that, I mean, even with the, the HeLa cells, right? Like coming up with some. Uh, um some kind of hybrid worm hela cell that's like indestructible yeah. and like no, gets into no, people's well, bodies. Like the, the the pathogens you know like there's a collection yes. of pathogens right that they have and so when they need to like revert like to create um gosh like immunize populations like so those studies i know there's a lot of anti you know vaccinate populations so so there are people that they do specialize in this, which right. makes it that that's why it's a little bit scary when you have folks that are like anti-vaxxers that just don't really, really believe in that. And it's like, I mean, my mother knew people that had polio, you know, like it's just like, you know, so our parents were, you know, like I think there's like just still one man that's still left an iron lung. So, um, you know, there have been great gains in that but i mean my big fear is that with those pathogens that it will be the poor it will be the global south yep. that will yep. suffer the most but it'll like yep. the wealthy folks they'll be okay and that's why whenever we see science fiction they tend to show like the white people in space because you know like they, they just kind of imagine that's like the regular global order and then maybe a few right. nation states like Russia or China, where they have their elites. So it's like, well, where are the elites of the global South that can survive, you know, survive right. the um, climate apocalypse? I mean, I, and the thing is, I love, like, I used to be, a, I used to love, really love Star Trek and, and, and shows like that. But the thing that bugs me about it is that they casually gloss over the, the actual suffering that had to occur for them to achieve that sort of, you know, egalitarian life. And also mm -hmm. it, it kind of assumes that human survival is a foregone conclusion, which I think is overly optimistic. It's way, it's way optimistic. It's like, oh, we went through two nuclear wars and also climate crisis, but look, we have fusion and spaceships and like, you know, matter energy and matter energy conversion. And I'm like, come on, dude, like, let's go back and show the people huddled around <laughs> barrel fires with like lesions from radioactive fallout and like show that part of the story. That's where I want to, I want to like, anyway, um, it's like a tale of hope, not, a tale of caution and that kind of bugs me a little bit so so you want you want the cautionary i mean maybe like i would want to see like how like a scrappy person kind of maybe survived and got found the cure for i don't know i mean nuclear fallout you know how did, i want to see what i want to see survive? is how like, well that's the thing is i want to see <laughs> what i want to see is i want to see communities i don't I, you know yeah. there's this idea that there's going to be one one hero who's often white or, yeah. you know, a, a hero with like a, a cohort, which is like, you know, um, formatively diverse or the, some concept created by people that is rooted in current neoliberal politics. Where we all came together somehow and made all these compromises. No, I want to see 
groups of people, small groups of people who work together to solve problems. And when that one group solves one problem, they share that solution with the next group and then mm -hmm. they exchange information. And what happens is that we have a collection of groups, you know, because that's really, I think, how it's going to happen, especially amongst African-Americans in this country. The way that we survived was our neighborhoods, right? Yeah. Our neighborhoods is how we survived police brutality, how we survived gentrification, how we survived, you know, um, um, you know, drug epidemics. We survived those by, and we found some very innovative solutions, you know, to everyday problems. And I think that's how, that's the science fiction I want to see. I want to see the guy who is like, yes, I'm from, right? I'm from like Trenton, New Jersey, like Combine 131 and like whatever, you know what I mean? Not Detroit. Yeah, the Detroit. Det speaker. There you go, I'm Detroit. I was, Detroit. You said, oh, you said, Linwood, you said Trenton Linwood. and it's stuck in my mind. Yes. Yeah, Linwood um, Davidson neighborhood. You know, I could see like so. I mean, you're so right. One of the things that is very important when we think about storytelling is that a lot of the storytelling that we're seeing is really can have an effect in on and how we imagine our world, how we imagine governance, how we imagine engagement. Um, that there's a certain types of storytelling that promote um, pluralism, that promote um not just tolerance but just an embracing of diversity of views and a lot a lot of that like some of the the things that we have to think about right is like well what stories kind of have us just buy into or just like lull us into accepting the status quo yes and then what other stories what are the types of stories that have us imagine the community that you're talking about where people come together a lot of times it's an epic story, it's multiple people, it is um, where each person has a strength and part of their story arc is learning to work together. Absolutely. Um, but a lot of Western storytelling doesn't lend itself to that. It lends itself to that one hero. So then we tend to um, outsource our own accountability and responsibility towards collective change to that one hero. That one person right. represents all the effort for all of us, as opposed to saying, hey, we did this together. Because there's there's just, you know, and that we need to have those exercises, right? When we, of like understanding what not just teamwork looks like, but what the collective and what does it mean when we all, um, when we all not just sacrifice, but when we all contribute yep. um, to solving a shared problem. Agreed. 100% agreed. I, and I can't ex expand upon that or say it any better. So we are going to move on to foundation because. Foundation. <laughs> are we avoiding the... it? Are you avoiding it? <laughs> no, we, avoiding we, we, we added kind of like a new little yeah. segment in here. Oh, wow, and, wow. and honestly, we're going to. We're gonna come, we're gonna come back and and try and and do like a, another like nerd segment, like every week, like where we're not just talking about you know the shows, but also other pop culture stuff that is relevant, but not necessarily. Well, you know, you get the idea. To us nerds, yeah, we're we're gonna yes. kind of go into it because there's, we've I I mean, there's just so many aspects of the culture of things that I mean, one that you're very much interested in that. It's really nice to find your tribe, right? It's nice to find your tribe of people that can geek out to similar things and to know that there's someone that's collecting manga from 1940s. Like that is right. just really amazing. Um, 
you know, so yeah, like it's, it's, it's just very, I used to spend my whole childhood for many years. I would try to tell people of whether it's about Robotech, about Dune, and then my classmates and peers would just tune out. But now, you know, there's ways that young people can form communities utilizing social media, utilizing the gatherings at these conventions. And so, I mean, I really hope that for my daughter who does nerd out to her own anime that she likes, she has her own manga that she likes a lot, you know, and, and that we can nerd out together on it um, yes. and talk about the themes in very intelligent ways. She's a very mature young lady and very thoughtful. So we hope that this could be a place where, you know, you could think about, um, you know, even like pushback if there's something that just didn't sit right. Oh, we can talk about that. Like you're not alone right. in understanding there's implications to the tropes that we see in anime, right? And or the tropes that we're seeing in science fiction. So I love that. And then there's implications that some of the interests that we developed as nerds, like that there are spaces where there's scientists um, that are really working on this. And that even if you're not, like, even if you're not necessarily the scientist, like you could actually go have a career that's related to supporting science. And, yes. you know, a lot of times our career choice, we never imagine that, yep. but it's like, Agreed. I mean, for the first time in my life, I'm thinking like, wow, like I could actually start doing DEIA and STEM and address some of the things that kept me out of the sciences and the opportunities. So I'm, I'm really excited. I think these conversations will be really amazing and open up new horizons for myself and my family, Absolutely. my people in my community. And I hope for, for those who are joining us online. It's, it's too late for me to be a PhD physicist, astronomer, but maybe it's some not young... Too late. It's not too late. Well, sadly, my interest, I, I'm, I'm content to be a public hobbyist and because and, and, my interests are, as you pointed out earlier, are very broad. But I do want to, I want to talk about foundation. All right. I'm going to do, I'm going to do some brief beats, but basically, <laughs> you know, where we, where we start here, this, this episode is Empire is meeting with Sarath, who is the, who is Dominion and, you know. Demerzel comes in and she's like, oh, Sarath wants to like, you know, she wants to copulate. And so she comes in and like, you know, she wants to, she's trying to gather intel. So she goes into his chambers and she sees where all of the blood spatter was and damage from like, you know, the assassination attempt on him was in his bedchamber. And then they're like, they're getting ready to get busy and Empire can't like, you know, can't get it up. He can't like perform. <laughs> and like they they start they get they get into an argument dominion leaves demersel comes in basically admits to openly says yeah i killed her like like they knew like she was like do you think they suspect that i she suspected i killed her family like so basically now you know that empire did indeed have her family killed um but then like he proceeds to have sex with demersel okay which was bizarre um and then, like, there, there's a couple of sequences with, with with Dominion and her crew in the garden, and they're trying to get this. They had this guard apparently who is, um, who is getting intel for them on like you know the goings on in the palace, particularly the assassination attempt. There's a conversation between Dawn and Dusk, and they talk about their inability to remember certain things and how they're not sure if Day has altered their memories as well. They consult with the. They, there's a weird segment with the Cleon the first hologram where they have to consult with him and ask him if they think this is the way things should be 
And then, of course, we go to uh, um, Harry, Salvor, and Gale. They crash land on, Igni uh, uh, on Ignis. Salvor goes out on like a reconnaissance, runs into her old boyfriend, who is, you know, who, you know her old boyfriend. And she's like, oh, my God. And he's like, yeah, I went into cryosleep right after you left. And then they go back to the ship. Harry won't let them on the ship because he's like, dude, that's not your boyfriend. And she's like, no, it totally is. Like, look. Anyway, they hide the Prime Radiant, and then they discover that's actually not him. The, the, whoever it is, this group of people, storm the ship and take them, take them captive. They discover that, like, you know, basically they telepathically made the guy look like her boyfriend, but they're now, they were now prisoners of this weird cult of people. Any, anytime I see people dressed in white, I'm suspicious. But they're <laughs> prisoners of this... They're prisoners of this cult that essentially want to make sure that like the that, like the second foundation doesn't get you know created. So like that's like that's really the beginning and end of that storyline, and then um, and the rest of it is just like the the, the dawn and dusk and day com, you know com, competing interests, dominion competing interests, you know palace intrigue essentially. So and. Yeah, I think anyway, but also Dominion discovers by because they they jack some like holographic recordings. They they um they figure out that Demerzel is a robot. She's an android, and also the consort, the handmaiden woman, actually is like having a another little tryst with Dusk, which was weird. Um, and they're watching her memories from like twenty years or thirty years pre previous, because she asked him to in the previous episode. They're like laying in bed. She's like, "Let's watch TV, but let's watch my memories from 30 years ago." Anyway, so that's pretty much the <laughs> that's pretty much like the beats. So, yeah. Do you want to start off with this one, or like, uh, or do you want me to like? Do you want me to like plant the seed real quick? Where do we start? You 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 got to start us somewhere. Okay. I don't know where to start. <laughs> first thing I noticed because I I I, I watched this sucker two and a half times. Let me tell you something. Okay, so first scene, Empire and Sarath, right? Their 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 interaction, very small point of note. Assassins came into his bedroom and tried to kill him, and there's still damage like the walls and blood spatter, right? Like. I would think that there would either be a some kind of like nanobots that cleaned everything, or like a staff that came in and cleaned everything, right? So it's weird that there's still signs that a battle took place or that a, a fight took place. But getting into the actual meat of this, Day and Sarath begin to, you know, basically have sex. Like he's like, "All right, let's do this," and whatever. He comments before she comes in to Demerzel that. He's used to her. He's basically used to having sex with Demerzel, as for his his android bodyguard, assassin, everything. But when he starts to like to get down with with Sarath, he can't perform, which I attribute to a number of things. Number one is he even says that she's not above making her own plans and she's her own person. She's very smart. I felt feel like the fact that she at every point did not back down from him at all ever. Like she's in his face constantly. I think he found that emasculating. I think he he was not used to that. And the truth is, it was probably one of the things that I felt like reflected reality the most in that interaction. Hmm. Yeah, and he also said something about he's supposed to be on top, which was I was like, oh, 
okay. Um, you know, and then obviously with Demerzel is like not a real human being. Um, he doesn't have to think about her pleasure at all. Like, so this wasn't about, so yeah, like the, the whole, like, I mean, this was like a very, uns I mean, I guess it was like about like, and it was meant to be very clumsy, which I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like really awkward. You know, like he was, he couldn't figure out all the, like, you know, the, like what he was supposed to do. And, and that really came down to like, you know, this, this whole thing of like, he wasn't really at all interested in her um, or even in this act as like discovery. Right. It's like, it was just all this, you know, like his, relationship with Demerzel is about him and his power how does Demerzel make him feel how does Demerzel help him um being into anybody else is just not something besides his own but then I mean he just grew up in a whole messed up environment right you know and which I feel like it, it just seemed like very different from I guess the kind of relationship that brother Don had with when in season one um so yeah like it was it's just a very uh it was i, ha I have to apologize because i i honestly thought that i sent the foundation topics to you and i just realized that i didn't hit the send button so i'm oh, very sorry okay no so if worries, you, want, if you want to refer them briefly to them they're in your inbox now just in case i'll check it out so it out. the other thing i found particularly weird too is when they were having sex and he could not perform he deflects immediately by number one questioning her chastity which was super odd. Like that made me cringe really hard. Super um, cringe. And then he, and then he, then he immediately deflects again. Like it's kind of like a machine gun deflection. Like he then says, mm -hmm. you know, why are you here? You're here because you're spying on me and you're, you know, whatever. And so it was like, okay, so dude, you, you couldn't perform and now you're angry. So you're going to now just blame her for everything. Right. And like, that part was realistic, but also it was hard to watch. Like, I, I feel like dudes probably do that. Like, like I can't perform, but it's your fault because you're, you know, you're promiscuous or you have more experience than I do. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was really, like, I think that, it, I, can, I can imagine that dudes actually do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I was very, I was very uncomfortable. But then I was just like, is this, is this trophy too? Did he think that she was? you know, was that the assumption, right? You know, or just like, or yeah, like, but it was like, here is this accusation around it. Um, but he was just like very awkward physically. Like, you know, he was just like, you know, kind of like stumbling and, you know, like it was, um, but I think that's like this, I mean, this, um, this brother day is um, just really weird, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, he's a weirdo. Well, there's a there, there are a couple of things that I kind of wanted to just to say about that too, because you know it's it is classic misdirection when confronted with inadequacy. Like I I saw that, um, and I think that a lot of people do that, not just men, but in this case, yes. Um, I feel like he's probably threatened by her competence, as I said previously. Um, he even says that she's smart and not above making her own plans, implying somehow that her station makes her above making plans, which I think is weird. Um, but I think also, given the, the the theme of the entire episode, he somehow feels emasculated by by her agency, right? She, you know, she she can she does have the power to consent. Do you know what I mean? Or she, or or withdraw consent. 
So I think that the fact that she is essentially putting herself forward as his equal makes him, you know, makes him feel less than. And that's something that I find is very common in men today is this idea, not just men, but even in racial dynamics, people who, who think that equality somehow diminishes them, right? It's a very common theme in modern life. You know, you're not white, therefore, you know, therefore your assertion that you're equal to me makes me less than, it, it removes what, what is special about me, quote unquote. And it's the same thing, I think, in gender dynamics, you know. I mean, the writers um, kind of did it in a very, like, in-your-face kind of way um, with that scene, which did make it a little bit cringe. Because um, I think that, you know, I mean, like, sometimes you just we just need a little bit of subtlety, a little bit of nuance. Um, and I think it could have been a little bit more funny. I mean, because it was like a funny scene in some ways, you know, like because there's like not that much humor in Foundation and we haven't seen that much, you know, humor coming around, you know, Empire. But um, which I, I think they could, I mean, especially like when when they have um, how it was a Mover, Haver Mallow, Hover Mallow, whatever Hover his Mallow, name yeah. is. Hover Mallow, and, you know, and, and so it's like, but I, you know, like, I think that it could have been done a little bit more subtle, in my opinion. But I do sure. think the kind of thematics around the um, the idea of that um, for some people who are used to domination um, and control, um, that that's the way that that, you know, like the, it just is really a turn off for them to not experience that you know like and so i think just with how like kind of twisted stuff is with the memory wipes and everything that you know here is a woman that he couldn't wipe her memory um because with the other ones like it was like they would do that like and so you know but like what kind of what kind of you know like even the thing with the bite mark like he was okay like how yes how, you know like that i mean i guess i gotta shift yep. to that like um I was just like, I, I was like, that is so messed up. Like you yes. have no, you're saying yes to something that you won't even remember. And what was the point of not remembering if you're just like, like she remember, oh, you grabbed a hand, but maybe even if the whole encounter, but then he left a mark on her, like he injured her in that thing. And so that kind of opens up like what kind of like if you don't see people as fully human like what kind of injuries can you do during you know like it's just that was like you I, know, I, was, I, I struggled with this last week because we talked about the idea of consent and this idea of memory wiping because even even day and dawn when they're talking about potentially having been memory memory wiped they're angry right they're yeah. like you know he's he is essentially removing our agency right and when i look at like the gossamer garden or whatever where they they hook up i think the same thing i think you know i i remember you you reaching reaching out for your hand and then and then the next thing i know i'm on a transport home with a bite mark on me and it's like if you are erasing their memories and you're erasing any knowledge they had of consent right yeah that that there it could it's entirely possible that as soon as right after like they took your hand and then they decided to go into the other place with you that you could have withdrawn your consent. 
You know, it could have been that you became, you know, too rough with that person and you bit them and then you withdrew your consent. The, the erasure of memory not only Im- implies this absence of consent, but the fact that the memory is that the empire insists on a memory being erased means that you can't really consent because you can't go into it with full knowledge of what's happening, even retroactively. Yeah. So that's like, that's just like the whole thing of what was really bothering me about it, or even just like that whole kind of setup. Like, I mean, you want one, if they're erasing people's memory and they're erasing people, then what's to say that they're not just consuming and erasing people. And, and, and just given like how terrible people are, right. And, and they're kind of, um, you know, the escalation, you know, like, so, so sometimes when, I mean, they, they talk about this with like porn addiction or something like you're used to a certain level of stimulation and it just has to get more and more extreme. And so it's like, like, who's to say, like, what's happening, you know? So, so that's like a whole area that I'm just not, I just don't know why is this like, so part of that storyline? Yes. Um, it's kind of rapey. Like, what does that like serve, you know, like maybe this is showing like how terrible empire is, but it's not, it's sort of making it glamorous. And I'm just like, like, yeah, I don't know. Like it just, it seems I, I, I do want to like, I wish I could talk to him. I'm like, what were you thinking when you did this? Was this to illustrate this or was this, am I right on this or am I wrong on this? Did you think about the implications of this? But I mean, I think this is like, because there are certain drugs that people do use where people won't remember. So this is something that actually does happen, right? Right. Like whether it's That's like with ex- lots of alcohol great point. or with certain drug, you know, like where it's just like the whole blackout. And so they're like, oh, you know, like, so there have been people like, oh, yeah, they just have no memory of what happened that evening. Um, and the person supplying that knows that that could be something you know that their consent is not fully there i guess for me it's like if they were like we both had our memories erased you know like so who's who's the one that is wrong in that you know so so just so if you have only one of you has a recording of what happened regardless of whether or not you both got your memories erased then one of you has a recollection of what actually happened right yeah and so that's like you know, a guy who, to me, the equivalent would be a guy who goes to a bar, he drugs a woman, takes her home and rapes her, and films the whole thing. And then she goes home and doesn't remember what happened, even though vaguely she knows something happened. Right? And he's yeah. a recording of it. You know, so, like, that's what that... That's what I mean, that, it is. It's, it's very equivalent of that. Like, even if it's like, because, I mean, when we talk about rape, it's like a lot of times we always imagine, like, oh, it's this very violent thing where there's force, but if your stuff is altered, right? If you're... Yep whole stat like where you're just like I, you know like where that person is having a decent time but it's like but their normal judgment is not there um and then that they won't they'll have an altered memory of what did happen of the choices that i mean because like well their cho- decision making was was altered so it's like does somebody when when it's like somebody that powerful approaches them do you have consent right, right. like when when somebody's like can wipe out your family or, um, you know, cause like that's even with this marriage, like what choice does she have? Does she want to die? She says no, then she can die. Right. So she has no real consent in this. Like she's like negotiating certain things. Um, like she's negotiating the terms of this forced marriage, 
but it's like in those cases when somebody's like the ruler of the entire universe and they're like, I want you. And do you really have consent? You know, so. Right. Yeah. All the, it's, this is all about power disparities in sexual relationships without them really showing like this is really icky and disgusting. Well, yeah, and I think that that like the the memory erasure is 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 an allegory essentially for date rape. Like it is an mm-hmm. equivalent. It is a, it is like a like a, an equivalent. But it also leads me to my my next point about how some people feel compelled to play into, for example, a, a fetishization in order to either recover some agency or achieve a level of adjacency mm-hmm. to power. And that that was that was tied up. I'm sorry, I keep forgetting her name, um, but Sarah's adjutant her aide um mm-hmm. the woman who's who sleeps with dusk and they're like going through when they're going excuse me when they're going to through her her video feed of her memories he says how did you get so delicious and she says i eat a lot of salt i'm pre-seasoned i so... fell out of my chair <laughs> right like I think I was eating dinner or something when I was watching that, and I like choked on like some kale. Like I was like, "Oh my god, does she just say that?" Um, which... What a death would that be to have like a little like? I died watching Foundation with kale in my mouth. <laughs> right. Well, there was like a hidden stem in there, but like, um, but but it, it's like it was cringe to me because it. It, it, once again, it plays into this trope or this, um, what's what I'm looking for, this trope that, you know, the spicy Asian woman, right? Um, and it sort of made me even more cringe that, that the character at least was willing to play into that fetish. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, dude, it's 9,000 years in the future. Have you guys not gotten over this this trope yet? Right, like. I mean, can we have some better lines too? I mean, dude, you're like your your empire, your day. You, if 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 I had that kind of power, which I wouldn't want that kind of power, I would have a dude behind me whose only job was to feed me dope lines. <laughs> right, I would have like a little earpiece, you know, and it wouldn't be. And my first line wouldn't be like, "How did you get so delicious?" And th- which goes again to consent, right? Not only did she feed the fetish, but it's entirely possible, let's just say in her mind, that she was that she's like eye roll, internal eye roll, right? Seriously, dude? And then she was like, oh, because I'm spicy. And I'm like, oh, God. <sighs> One good turn deserves another. I mean, she should have been like, you know, like, like, yeah, I'm just going through the motions with this. I'm about to get some money. You know, like, what were they all there? Like, I mean, they're all courtesans, right? So... So they're all like on display, but it was like, like, I mean, I don't know, maybe I should keep my mouth shut because then I'll just start revealing like, you know, like knowing things, knowing things, being there, you know, like just knowing, like, that's just not how, like, this is not how it really if you look goes at the, down. Okay, so let me say this and I'll give you a minute to mull over what you're going to say what you're going to say. <laughs> oh, I gotta say. You, one thing that struck me too is if you look, if you go back to the scene at the Gossamer Garden, one of the things you're going to notice is that she's the only person who's Asian in the Gossamer Garden. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everybody else in the Gossamer Garden is white. You don't see anybody from anywhere else in there. Right. 
So that in and of itself stood out to me. Yeah. 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 Okay, so you're gonna so you're gonna pass. I mean, he's, I mean, he's not like King Titan, you know, like King Triton um, right. in Little Mermaid, where he had like all the seas, you know, like all the all his daughters <laughs> are different, different places. Right. <laughs> like it was just like so. Then it was like, oh, she's and then so she's doing the demure thing, like, oh, I'm not paying you any attention. So then he's like, what's up? But it's it's like, I just felt like. Somehow, like, cause, cause I do think Lee Pace is a decent actor, mm-hmm. but he's just like, he's just like epic, you know. Like, I'm, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just try to pretend to be, cause, cause I mean, you know, like, I'm gonna just pretend to be heterosexual here. Just, I'm not even gonna pretend that hard to be heterosexual <laughs> with someone. Okay, but I'm gonna try. I see where you're going with that, um, right? But I it see was where just you're going like, I just feel like, you know, like. And I'm sure there's a lots of people that could either came on to him or he's come on. So he could have been like, oh, come on. These lines are dumb. Like, you know, I mean, almost every queer person I know, like, are like wordplay. They're just clever. Like, they're just clever good yeah. about like how they they figure out things. They figure yeah. out the chemistry. They identify that. Cause it's, it's So I just was like, this is just terrible writing, terrible writing, terrible, terrible. I did want to touch on one more thing um, before we start to wrap it up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a chance to respond to this. But the other thing that that struck me is is when when I forget again I forget what her name is. Uh, Sarah's aide is with Dusk, and they're watching the video of them 30 years previous. The last thing she says to him before that segment ends is, "It must be nice to be able to trust your memories." And when I unpacked that internally, I was like, there's a level of privilege that exists here and not just in the show, but in real life, mm-hmm. which is this idea that, that men and in particular patriarchy, which have long memories, this idea that they are perpetually in this, in this position of expecting to be believed when they say things, having access to their experiences and believing that their version of events is the correct version of events. And I think that, you know, movements like Me Too and, and other feminist movements um, that have sprung out, that have come out against people like Harvey Weinstein and other people who denied vehemently ever doing any wrongdoing, I think that plays into it. I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not sure if I'm making the connection properly, but there's this element of the, the use of the memory erasure and the fact that, that Empire have access to their memories all the memories it's a kind of a form of like galactic gaslighting i mean you know because i'm sure i mean they have like the technologies to create false memories right like so if they're looking back at these things um you know and and even you know that that we do have like as far as like um i mean we know like memory is is a real tough thing. It's it's not fully reliable. Like it's like how people may remember an event, you know, like Rushamon was like a really great film because it's like all these people have different perspectives um, of what happened and they never give you the full answer. Um, so it just makes it such a great film, but also deeply frustrating. You're like, what is the answer? Um, you know, and, and for me, it's like the, a lot of this film, like or this episode was really about memory, right? So you yep. have um, heart, um, you have, um, 
gosh, what's his name? I'm so bad. Harden's memory. Uh, Salver um, Harden, right. Salver, Salver Harden's memory. Um, you have um, Harry's memory, Harry Seldon's memory. Um, True. You have, you have um, Gall's, uh, Gail's memory, who is remembering something. So like the way like that she's seeing in the future, right? And um, which may or may not happen. So she's trying to figure out how to prevent it. And then this big mystery, right, with the, like, who, like, why does one of the Cleons have tons and tons of memory, but then, yes, yes, you know, but they just have limited memory. What I was just thinking about is just like how unreliable our memory is, even with recording devices, which may capture smaller things, segments. But um, I was thinking about the Mandela, Mandela effect, which I was just like, so I had to look it up, you know, I had to do a little of my own research. All right. But, um, you know, so many things. So like now the Mandela effect is, you know, which is this phenomenon where people misremember, like a whole population of people misremember something or they share a memory of an event that never occurred. And like how Empire can do that, especially when they're kind of like painting the memories of things, like they're looking at these murals and who remembers what and how people are viewing it. So I did a little bit of, you know, like beyond that, like I was like, wait a minute, like, so this comes from the Mandela, cause I was always like Mandela, so I was imagining it came from a sophisticated thing of a Mandela pattern, but it was really, you know, like a paranormal researcher, Fiona Broom, had mm-hmm. thought that Nelson Mandela died in the 1980s and I was like, first of all, what type of rock was this person under to not know like Nelson Mandela was still alive? Right. right. Um, but you know, but the name of this effect that we see in so many places, misremembering wines, misremembering things where we're always like, Luke, I am your father. You know, like it's not right. You know, like those just certain phrases, certain ways we we see things and imagine things. Um, and that false memories, right, can be um, where an individual may recall an event that they think happened or transpired and doesn't happen. And so we see that in like police lineups and, you know, like this actually with people and their bias with the yep. false memory. And then the collective hysteria of that can really um, harm communities. And um, yes. So now I'm kind of like really trying to think through like this idea of false memories, media, the kind of propaganda, um, how um, how will we remember things like COVID and how right. we remember things like, um, you know, Japanese internment. How do we remember and misremember like these false threats that people and rumors that people spread? Um, and and who shares those kind of stories and how they can be used to target um, certain segments of the population. So yeah. um, I do think that's why we're just seeing a lot of misinformation because people don't want us to remember who caused so much suffering. So the Mandela effect and then the erasure of memories I think that's it's not just the erasure, but if you pile on a bunch of other things of misinformation, it can cause you to like discount other, you know, reality, the actual things that did really happen and transpire. 
it's funny because they you, you go through the same thing with movies. Like I was just telling someone last night that um, I feel like my whole life, you know, like my whole like adult life has been an, has been like one long like Pirates of the Caribbean reboot, like you know, like sequel. <laughs> like it, like I wake up one day and it's like Pirates of the Caribbean seven on Stranger Tides, and I'm like seven. Like I was just fifteen, like two days ago. Like what the hell happened? Um, but also there's a couple of movies. Like there's a movie I think that people for the longest time were using clips of a movie called Kazam of Shaquille O'Neal to say that it was a different movie, and people thought that he was in another movie. There's another movie called Relic that people mistook for Mimic, right? Which doesn't even exist. It wasn't even made until 2020. So there's there's all these things in media that are like, wait, was wasn't that this movie? And didn't I see this? And didn't I remember that? So, um, so yeah, I I 100% agree with that. Um, but I'm going to, I I want you to give me your last your last little, your last breath on this episode. My my writers. You're writing about power and sex and consent. Do a better job. All right. It's not okay to to romanticize harmful dynamics and make that okay. It's not. All right. I don't actually don't I don't I've said everything I'm going to say about this episode so I'm going to um and this I'm sorry it's not over it's not okay over here it's not okay over there it's not okay in the sky you know I mean, like whatever that you're writing if you're writing it in a book if you're writing it yes. in a play it is not okay if you're writing it on a script well you or know you're it's, writing it's okay it on a ship it's it's <laughs> It's kind of okay because then you know our podcast probably wouldn't exist, so we can we can draft. Oh, we'd be like that was just really perfect. I mean, you know, because there are some series that actually show sexual violence. You know, because I mean that's what we're talking a lot of this episode. We talk about is sexual violence, um, and I think that there's ways of dealing with it in a very sensitive way that honors um, the realities of the victims and makes us maybe help us understand the perpetrators so that we can stop that cycle, sure. um, or at least mitigate the harm. But I do think that there may have been some replication of harm, um, especially for those who had, um, who have had those, you know, like who have been assaulted or have been drugged. So, Great. so this, you know, I, I mean, I hope when we kind of replay it, we'd be like, okay, trigger warning because this is a very sensitive topic. And I think that um, in that we could just really show how much of the douchery beyond douchery, because like no one, douche, we're not supposed to be douching anymore, right. um, but like how terrible empire is. Yes. All right. Well, thank you <laughs> for right. that last, for that, for that, thank you for that last little bit. And well, thank you for the whole episode. Uh, once again, I'm Jay Austin Yoshino, the editor in chief of Fresh Wall Magazine. This is, Marguerite Hill. She is the executive director and co-founder of Muslim Art. She's also the future strategist for Fresh Pulp Magazine. Thank you for being here with me. I hope you guys will tune in next week because we're going to have more nerd stuff. We're going to have more science stuff. We're going to have more foundation. Ahsoka is coming up in two weeks. We're going to have that going on. So we're going to be talking about that. Um, we're not talking about any of the main Star Wars properties, just the side properties. So, and we, I hope to see you all next week. 
Um, also, if you're watching this on YouTube, please like, share, and subscribe. Like, share, and subscribe. Help us out. Thank you very much. And I'll see you guys next week.